The following program is a specialty program. Unless otherwise identified, the participants on the program are not employees of Chorus Entertainment. Opinions expressed may not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. All right, welcome to it. It's a, a couple minutes after 11 o'clock on a Saturday morning. Good to have you along. Uh, Dr. Lou is here, as always, spreading the knowledge. And uh, good of you to tune in. You want to call in anytime. You got time right now. Little less than an hour to do so. 416-870-6400. You have some physical, some health concerns. Maybe, uh, just ask a few questions of things that have been, uh, irking you for a while. This is the show to do it. Dr. Lou is ready here to answer those questions. 416-870-6400. You want to reach out pinpointhealth.ca. Again, pinpointhealth.ca. Tons of clinics always opening up and running. They can help in uh, many facets of your health as well. And one eight five 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 Doctor Lou D R L O U is how you do that. But let's uh, let's get at it, pal. How are you this morning? Hey, John. I'm well. How are you? Excellent. Uh, what do you got on uh, What do you got on tap for today? Well, there's always. I mean, I I always like the call, so I encourage anybody listening. Let's talk about anything. Anything anybody yep. wants to talk <laughs> about uh, related to health. I think that's uh, an interesting topic in terms of. You know, and I think in terms of a conversation uh, to be had, because I know sort of obviously we all know what's going on in the world. And uh, one of the things that's really for the last, I'd say at least the last year and and more so in the last six months, that's really been concerning to me um, is the level of distrust that I'm seeing in the population. Not everyone, but there's a, a definitely a segment uh, in terms of, you know, the distrust of healthcare professionals, of the healthcare industry, of science in general. Um, and it's concerning yeah. to me because I, I, I think that it's a slippery slope of, of again, where, you know, you apply it to one thing and, and that thing is, is COVID. And, you know, there's been things that are wrong, even from a scientific perspective, that have happened. Uh, you know, we're mixing something that is a global crisis and there and then there's, politics that are mixed in with science and so that creates um you know different things that sometimes to be very honest with you even the things that i see don't make sense from a scientific perspective at all uh there may be policy reasons for it and that's a different uh conversation that's not my area of expertise um but from a science perspective the things that science itself have shown have been sound and and i think again you know there there's a, a fragment of the population um, that, you know, for whatever reason, I'm, I'm not criticizing them. I'm just saying that I worry, I guess the reason why I bring it up is because I worry about what happens in the future when, when you sort of build this level of distrust where this happens. And, you know, there's this sentiment that, you know, the healthcare industry is out to get me or it's not there to really take care of me. Where does this stop? Right. Like if you yeah. apply it to COVID-19, then what else do you apply it to? And, and that that type of level of distrust, the rumblings of it have been there for a very long time. I've noticed it, um, you know, in my personal life with friends and family of mine over the last 10 years. And, and John, you know this, too, where people will say things like, you know, I went to my doctor, but I don't think they know what they're talking about. Right. Like and, and this all has to do with you know, the presence of the internet and social media and Google, and there's so much information at everybody's fingertips um, that 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 has created people to have a lot more. But the one thing that I always caution people, 
and and it's a quote, and I'm not sure who the originator of the quote is, and it might just be one of those things that's often said, is that a little knowledge is a, is a dangerous thing. And I think that is, is, the, is the message, right? Like you could Google something, but you don't have the, the extent of the information that's required uh, to put all the pieces together. And so this is what I've been talking about for, you know, a five plus, five plus year history of this show in terms of people when it comes to their musculoskeletal pain, thinking that they may very well know in self-diagnosis. These are all things that I've talked about before in self-treatment. And, and now it's become more prevalent, right? This idea that people know uh, everything that they need to know. And I'm not saying you shouldn't be involved in your healthcare. That's not, that's not my point here. Um, in fact, we know from an evidence-informed model and evidence-based model, which is the way we practice healthcare, that the three tenets of, of that evidence-based model are the best scientific evidence, um, the, the clinician experience, and that doesn't mean the individual clinician. That means, uh, you know, a lot of clinician experience. And then finally, what the patient wants. And in fact, when I'm teaching students, I often teach students that the most important thing is what the patient wants. Uh, right. you, you know, because if, if the patient doesn't want something, well, you know, it doesn't matter how good the scientific evidence is or how good the clinician experience is, you're not going to be able to intervene um, in that regard, but that's what evidence-based medicine is. So it's not about that the patients, the people listening uh, are not to be involved in their care. They are. It's, it's one third of the process. Uh, but I think in terms of the best models of care is when you can find harmony between all three of those. And when you can find harmony in those, that's when people really get better. So I'm, John, for me, I'm concerned what I see, the level of distrust that I'm seeing build up, um, in healthcare, in science, and, and I think it's the wrong thing. Do I think that things should be questioned? We should be able to have conversations? Absolutely. The, no, no, you're never going to hear an argument there from me. Uh, but, you know, the fact that some people who are probably not qualified, to be very honest and to be frank about it, are making commentary on certain things is a bit crazy in my opinion. Um, and, and there's even things that I'm not qualified enough to be, you know, making commentary. And that's why I rely on expert opinions. But it's a dangerous world when we look at, when I look out at the landscape and I see more and more people who, you know, without saying any names, but, you know, people can make their own um, inference based on what I'm about to say. It's a dangerous world, I think, when more and more people are finding their health advice from podcasts that are led by non-healthcare experts yes. um, that are biased in themselves, right? Everyone talks about how mainstream media is biased. Everybody has an internal bias, even the people that run those podcasts, because they need listeners. And if they were on the, on the mainstream, they likely wouldn't have the listeners. And yet the healthcare experts, the people who have spent their lives dedicated to this field are the people that are not being listened to. Now, I don't think that's the majority of the population, right? We, we can see the statistics in this, but I don't know, John, it seems to be growing. And, and that sentiment to me is scary. Well, it is. And I mean, you know, opinions are changing so quickly. And if, if you let something fester long enough on social media, it becomes a truth to a lot of people. I mean, and, and the doubt, and, and, and I, I just find over the last two years with, you know, we've talked about this before in the show that we've never, our generation or even the two generations before us have never gone through something like this pandemic before. Last time was the Spanish flu where it was worldwide. Nobody around then is around. Well, they are, they're really old, but nobody's gone through it. So 
you know, I just I heard a I heard a guy in my gym the other day talking about the vaccine and and saying, you know, now that Omicron's here and you know the third dose is you know it's it's to provide protection. It means you can still get sick, but it lessen the chance of you ending up in hospital. He's like, oh yeah, well when the virus when the when the when the vaccine first came out, they said we couldn't get COVID. I'm like, you know what? It's 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 a malleable thing. Things change. People learn over time, but it's always it's got to be black and white with some people. So to your point, they read something on the internet. So, oh, that's not what you said a year ago. So therefore, I don't trust the medical system. I think that's like yeah. you said, a dangerous slope to go down, man. Yeah, and and this that point that you're making exactly there about the vaccines related to this particular coronavirus are the exact thing where I'm 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 thinking like if people just understood and listened to the science again, there's so much information out there that I get it. It's hard for the average person or for any person to hear this stuff and try to make a decision. But I could tell you one thing, anybody that, you know, thinks, oh, I'm a conspiracy theorist and I, and I told you that this was coming, like nobody listened to me, that's all BS science told us that that was coming. We, we know coronaviruses are similar to the common cold. They are the common cold, right? right. We know they mutate. We've always known that, very similar to the flu, no different than a flu shot is, is a vaccine that's given every single year. So anybody that thinks that that was something that they predicted that this, that this coronavirus would mutate and then we would need uh, boosters because there'd be like that, that is not a prediction made by someone, you know, with a tinfoil hat on. That's called science. When you understand certain viruses and how they work, you understand the way that they're going to mutate. And that was always the concern with this virus. In fact, even from the get go was the, the concern of mutation. So there's all of that. Is, it's crazy that people think that like they're shedding light on that. They're not shedding light on that. That's that stuff that has been known about coronaviruses for for so long that I I can't even put a timeline on it. Right. Like we this is why it's so hard to create vaccines for these types of things. So. You know, that that again goes back to my point where if you like what that person said there in the gym, right, that that is just science. And the science, we, we knew that that was going to happen. We know that going forward, if it continues to mutate, there's going to have to be changes and, and potentially boosters and things like that. That that is what's known. That's the point. That's the point I'm trying to make. That's not, you know, pe- I see people on the Internet seeing, see, I told you so. Like nobody listened to me. You didn't tell, you know, you didn't tell anybody anything. You're an echo chamber of science. Science told you that. And then you want to discredit science. Yeah, it's amazing. Look, we'll take a we'll take a short break. Give some time to grab a phone if you got uh, concerns about your own health outside of COVID. It could be musculoskeletal. You got uh, problems with your back, elbows, shoulders, whatever it is. Bring it on, Doctor Lewis here to answer those questions every week. Four one six eight seven zero sixty four hundred pinpointhealth.ca. The website you want to go to as well. And we'll continue Pinpoint Health Show right here on Global News Radio. And we are about back at it. Thanks for uh, for joining us, Pinpoint Health Show. Reaching out to Doctor Lou now, right here now. Four one six eight seven zero sixty four hundred. You have health questions? Bring it on. Four one six eight seven zero sixty four hundred. PinpointHealth.ca is the website. You want to find a, a clinic in your neighborhood or close by that's up and running and robust treatment, and simply have a conversation, get your bearings, talk to one of Doctor Lou's many uh, employees and healthcare professionals. PinpointHealth.ca and uh, barring all that, one eight five. 555 Dr. Lou D R L O U. You know, it's funny before the break, we were talking about, uh, you know, the need for updated vaccines and boosters, boosters, and people are complaining and whining and bitching and complaining. But, you know, a doctor said to us a long time ago, I remember Dr. Lou, it might have been on this show, in fact, it says, you know, it's like, 
you've never picked up a tennis racket before, so you grab a tennis racket and a ball, you start hitting a ball against a wall. Day one, you suck. By day 365, you're getting pretty good at it. Same thing with the yeah. virus. The longer it's around, the longer it perfects what it needs to do. There's no difference. 100%. Yeah. And, and again, I'm not a virologist. This is my point. Like, I'm not the expert in this sure. stuff. And that's not what I like. I don't want to go even down that road because if, if calls start coming in, that's not the point. The point is, is I rely on scientific evidence. And, and it's and it's and, and my concern is just when people start to discredit science. Well, what else starts to rear its ugly head? I mean, I work in an industry where it comes to musculoskeletal health to be very honest, where there's a lot of anti-type of scientific claims that are made that people buy into and they waste a lot of money and time because someone's selling them something that isn't really working. And, and we know that it doesn't work. And that's the big concern that I have where, where this, this anti-health, anti-science sentiment starts to build is where else does it start to have an impact? And I've, see, yeah. and I, I've seen this in my industry, I see it more and more. Like I, I've had people that, you know, like there's always these, these things. Like I can remember one patient, it was actually really funny that I was treating for knee pain uh, and we were doing a ton of stuff, like, you know, uh, different types of, uh, of modalities, a ton of different exercises, everything. We had even gotten this person some injections um, they, and they had a, a quite a complicated knee issue. And, and I remember after about six, seven weeks or something like that, this, this is going back a while, but it just sort of highlights things and, and the way people can sort of spin things in their head. I, I sort of said to him, you know, I, uh, on reassessment, hey, how, you, how are you feeling? Like, how's this going? And, he's, you know, at this seven or eight week mark when we were doing this reassessment, I, I feel great, he says. I'm, okay, great, awesome, that's great. And, you know, then he further tells me, he's like, you know, I think really, though, the thing that's been helping me the most is something that I'm doing on my own. And I was really happy to hear that because I'm a big proponent of self-care and active care. In fact, that's often what makes the big difference. Until he told me that his self-care and active care was that he had talked to somebody and, uh, you know, there was this thing that if you take a bar of soap um, and you put it in a towel and you tie it behind your knee at night, that it will help with your knee pain. So, it was funny where he completely discredited everything that, you know, we were doing from a rehabilitation standpoint, from a manual therapy standpoint, from an injection standpoint, even medication, like everything else, in his opinion, didn't matter. And really what made the difference was this bar of soap behind his knee, when really it was the, the combination of all of the things that we were doing that were making him better. And the least likely thing that contributed to any of that was the bar of soap behind the knee. Uh, and so, so it was a really interesting lesson where, again, and I get it, people want to rely on these different types of things. And, and again, I see that a lot in the musculoskeletal health world where, where people are sold different devices or treatment plans from different practitioners on things that are not really evidence-informed. And, and they're told to do certain things without a benefit. And I see it all the time. I see people, because that's my area of expertise, where people come into me and we'll say certain things and it's like, no, that doesn't happen. Uh, and in fact, there's been times where people have bought so like the, the patient themselves have bought so into that ideology that when I've said like, Hey, from an evidence perspective, there's nothing to suggest that that's actually even real. Uh, and, and there's also no, nothing that I've ever seen from an experience standpoint to suggest that that even helps. Uh, and people that I've talked to that have done that are not happy with it. 
And they get so mad at me. I've had a handful of cases that, you know, the, the people throw their arms up. Like, I can't even believe you're saying that. I thought, you know, like that you were open-minded. It's like, I'm open-minded. I, I, and listen, if something's making a difference for you, but all, all the power to you. The point is, is from a healthcare profession, we, we need to recommend things based on evidence. And there's, there's something there also about evidence, like quality of evidence. And, and the average person that says, oh, I did research. Well, what does research mean, right? And, and one of the most basic things that I teach my first year students in clinical education is about the hierarchy of scientific evidence. So we know that anecdotal information like case studies, right, where, you know, you hear a story or someone says, hey, this happened to this person is the lowest form of evidence that we can rely on, right? Because there are so many factors that we haven't controlled. And as you move up that chain, you get to things like randomized control trials that are double-blinded, where you're controlling for a lot of these factors. And even then, I tell my students, if you look at, and the short form for that is called an RCT. If you're looking at anything, you can always find an RCT that's beneficial and an RCT that's counter to what you're thinking. The highest quality is what we call a systematic review, where someone actually goes through all of the scientific evidence and looks for a consensus. It's sort of like getting the majority, right? Because scientific research can be biased in many ways. That's why these systematic reviews or guidelines, things where you're looking for a consensus, are the highest quality of evidence because you try to eliminate all of that. You try to look at it and say, okay, what has consistently been found? And, and that's how we come up with clinical guidelines when we do those things. So even an individual research paper, right, even if it is done its very, very best, is not necessarily the highest form of quality wow. evidence. And this is something that we see all the time nowadays where people will come out, oh, this research paper just came out and showed this about this and fill in the blank. And it's like, that's fine because you're always going to get that. But we need to come to consensus based on all of the stuff yeah. that's coming out. And that's what the average person can't do, right? It's very, very hard for the average person to review all of the scientific literature on a specific topic, which is why guidelines and these things exist. And that's where I try to tell people, like, when you say you've done research and you've looked something up on Google and that thing you found on Google is likely a case study where someone's saying, hey, I did this and this worked for me, that is the lowest form of evidence that we ever rely on. I'm not saying that it's discredited. That's actually those case studies are what eventually lead to the, to the clinical right. guidelines because yeah. it does have to start somewhere, right? Sometimes we, we don't know something and it needs to start somewhere and then you, you investigate further. And so again, my point here being that uh, it's more complicated than we, you know, the catchphrase that we use nowadays. I did the research. Real research is so much more complicated than the catchphrase of using that same, you know, word. And, and that's where I think a lot of this distortion happens. Um, and, and my concern, again, is when you stop relying on experts, on guidelines, on consensus, we start moving backwards instead of yeah. forward. And I've, I've said, John, I've said this on the show before even COVID when it came to other things, where I've said we live in a society and, and, and a time in our life, in a time in history where we are so spoiled in terms of what we have, in terms of the health infrastructure, all these things, that we have the privilege to sit here and question this stuff now. And yeah. I've said that before. This is way before COVID. And, and, and that's 
that, that, that's the reality. That's the way I see it. I, I think that is really what's happening is we, we live in a time where we're just so, we have so much investment in, in knowledge, in, in uh, techniques and different therapeutics and other things that, and we still have so much further to go. And we don't want to be holding up science, right? Like you don't want, we want more kids getting into the sciences and developing the future things that will save more and more of us. Um, so, you know, that, that's my, uh, that's my rant on that stuff. 416-870-6400 is the way to call. Camille, thank you for standing by for a moment. How are you? How are you today? I am great. Thank you. How are you doing? Excellent. Good. What's on your mind? Thanks for calling. Well, I'm, I to- I'm a healthcare professional myself and I completely appreciate what you're talking about with, um, science. So I'm really interested in what you think of the PRP. I have a tennis elbow tear. Hmm that I tried mm-hmm. everything, 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 yeah. uh, conservatively. I read, yeah. like she said, I've read almost every study I can find. And I went ahead and did the PRP a week ago out of, I'm going to say, more desperation. I found that the studies were really mixed reviews. So yeah. how, what do you think about it, and how do you weigh out whether a procedure like that, which is expensive, I might add, um, yeah. is worth doing or not? Gr- great question and a great way to sort of tie in everything that we're we're speaking about here. So um, one of the things, so PRP for people who are listening and don't know what that is, it's uh, platelet-rich plasma, which is essentially your own blood put through a centrifuge. You extract these, these components called platelets, and then you re-inject it with the intention in a certain area with the intention of, you know, decreasing inflammation, potentially healing, et cetera. Now, PRP is one of these things, right, where, we're not like, unfortunately, a lot of the people doing it are not just relying on the scientific evidence, right? So where I've seen the best evidence and where, and when I say evidence-based care, again, meaning scientific evidence, um, clinician experience or clinician or multiple clinicians uh, experience and, and patient care is with osteoarthritis of the knee that is mild to moderate, excuse me. Um, And so that is really when we do PRP in our clinic, that's where we're focusing it. And we tell the patient like, Hey, if you fall within this certain guideline, here are what you can expect as your outcomes. And we have very specific things that they can expect if they're falling in that range, as you've suggested. And what you've gone for is a lot of people are using PRP for other things, um, for things like tennis elbows and shoulder injuries. And they're using it for more of a, of a healing modality where the thought is, that it may actually help to heal, where really what the research is showing is that it actually has more anti-inflammatory properties, which is why it's really good with osteoarthritis of the knee and may not have the same things and same benefits when it comes to, say, something like healing when you're trying to deal with um, a tennis elbow or something like that. Now, having said that, there are patients who have done, like, I'm not saying that you made the wrong choice. The other thing about PRP is the effects of it, if they are going to happen from the research that I've seen on a lot of different areas of the body is it can actually take up to six months to start to feel the effects. So the fact that you're within the first week and, and, and not really experiencing anything, I, I don't think is, is a bad thing. I think that, that, you know, you've still got time, but th- it, another question was this ultrasound guided or, or was it, uh, or was it not done that way? Yeah, definitely ultrasound. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good. Yeah. So that that's the other thing that I've seen in the research. Like when you just rely sort of on 
experts to just, you know, and, and in the knee is different because it's very easy for, say, a knee surgeon to get into the knee joint, but something like where you're actually trying to get onto the enthesopathy of, of the extensors and the elbow is, it should be done under ultrasound guided. So I think I, you know, I often tell people, especially if it's been something that's nagging and when people ask me about these types of things, I say, hey, listen, it's probably not going to hurt you, right? Like, there's not going to be any real negative side effects. The biggest side effect, right. I would say, of the PRP is in your pocketbook because, as you've alluded to, it's expensive. Um, so, you know, outside of that, I think you're still early, and you may find some benefits. So, But it's a toss-up. Like, I, if you would have asked me before you had it done, I'd say you're flipping yeah. a coin, right? There's a chance it's going to work, and there's a chance it's not going to work. And it's probably about 50-50. Well, that's kind of what I, I got from my research as well. Yeah. But uh, what else would you have suggested? I mean, I, I've had it chronically now for six months. I've probably got the tear plain, and I, of course, kept plain, which I realized I probably shouldn't have done. And I just want to get back on the court. But I've tried sort of everything I can think of. Yeah, John, where are we at for break? Because that, like, that's yep. gonna, I have an answer for that. But I'd rather, if we're going to do it, let's do it after the break. Yep, Camille, hang on. We're going to do exactly that. We'll take a, a quick one and get back to your question and yours as well. Feel free to give us a call just like that. 416-870-6400. Pinpoint Health Show continues. This is Global News Radio. Yeah, we are back at it. 416-870-6400 to reach uh, Dr. Lou for the remainder of the hour. Ask your questions. You want to do so after that. PinpointHealth.ca, one eight five 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 five. Dr. Lou, D-R-L-O-U. But uh, going back to uh, to Camille. There you go, Dr. Lou. You're good to go. Yeah, thanks, Sean. Camille, um, what else? So outside of the PRP, six months this has been going on. Um, you've still been sort of, I guess you got this from playing tennis. Is that right? I did. I do. Yeah. I play a lot of tennis. So I got it definitely from tennis. Yeah. Okay. And then has there been like a rehab program where you're working on different stretches, exercises, uh, things like that or no? Yes, there has been. Okay. I started with laser. I've had, um, you know, some deep tissue work, uh, exercises, some rest, probably not nearly yeah. enough rest, um, but yeah. I cut my back on my tennis. Um, then I went to the, I think they call it the high-frequency machine. Um, yeah. I actually rented that for a couple weeks, and I did that. I've used a variation of a TENS machine. Um, right. And I guess that's probably it. And it got to the point about a month ago where I couldn't even hit the tennis ball at all. So I knew I was making yeah. it worse. So I stopped playing for three weeks in hopes that the tear would get smaller and it really did not so that's when i jumped to do the prp last week kind of reluctantly i would say but feeling like i didn't have any other options right i got you um yeah i mean it sounds like you've done a lot of the things the reality about these types of nagging injuries that are repetitive strain sprains is if if you're still doing sort of the activity um you know one of the things that i tell people is if you're going to take that three-week break and, and this doesn't matter for you, but I'm speaking generally, do it at the beginning, yeah. right? Because you don't create more damage and you likely offer it an ability to heal. I think yours will heal. It, it's unfortunately, it's probably there's enough repetitive uh, trauma that it's just going to take longer. Um, and, and yeah. you know, it sounds like all of the things that you're doing are on the right track. Um, you know, I, if you want, I'm happy to see you for it. The other thing, if you haven't done it, that there's some good research around it is shockwave therapy for, um, oh. uh, for, 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 te- for persistent 
uh, tennis elbows. So it hurts. It, it doesn't feel good, but but it does seem to help. And and just like on a personal note, I'm suffering with the same thing, a tennis elbow. So and it's the first time I've oh. ever had it, um, and it's been driving me crazy for a couple months. And I've I've sort of been doing all this stuff, and it is getting better. I sort of, you know, I gave you advice, but I did the same things where I kept doing something in the summer that um, I should have stopped earlier, and I didn't. And and then now I'm suffering uh, at the consequences. But I am finding um, that again, from purely anecdotal with myself, the uh, the shockwave is really helping, and a, a lot of the research that I've looked at is, is very good for it as well. So that might be something to add in as well. Oh, well, thank you. I, I might take you up on that. And would that be helpful for a tear? I definitely have a tear. Yeah, it, yeah, it could it could definitely help with uh, with a okay. tear for sure. Yep. Well, I might uh, might reach out to you. Thank you very much. Anytime. Thank you. Thank you, Camille. I uh, really appreciate that again. Uh, PinpointHealth.ca and one eight five 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 Doctor Lou D R L O U. Just that simple. But here now four one six eight seven zero. 6400 Christine thanks for uh thanks for hanging in there how are you good how are you fantastic thank you and appreciate your time today in the uh on the phone what's uh what's going on love the show thank you um, thank you just a shout out for PRP for your last caller my daughter was a Canadian team athlete and um used it a lot and it saved her career so it's good. no kidding awesome um I have an issue with my knee, and um, I just got an MRI back that says that it's stage four osteoarthritis under the kneecap. Yep. And the the strange thing that I find about it is that it's not really that painful. And I did okay. a cute incident months ago where I knelt down on my knee, and by the next day it had blown up like crazy. And literally, I've never felt. I have a very high pain tolerance. I have never felt the kind of pain that I was in, not even in childbirth. Um, right. But it came down pretty quickly. I took the summer off, unlike the two of you. I did. I was good and actually stopped football <laughs> hockey. Yep. Uh, <laughs> but I did physio, did a whole bunch of stuff while waiting the hundred years to get my MRI, uh, and it's gotten a lot better. So I don't understand. I would think that if I was at stage four, the pain would be crazy. And what can so- I do to try to fix it? Yeah. Okay. Good question. So, what what got better? The symptoms, not not the MRI findings, right? Correct. Yeah. Okay. The doctor yeah, was so- shocked at the findings. Well, okay. Yes. And now here's the thing: Were you a runner? Like, how old are you? Let's start with that, if you don't mind saying. That's okay. I'm 55, and I am old. I'm I'm overweight for sure, and but I do play ball hockey, and like I love sport, not exercise okay. as much. Yeah, but you've probably done a lot of that type of sport for most of your life. So, so there's a component of running. So you bring up two things. So, like that, I want to bring up. So, arthritis of the knee. A lot of people think of arthritis of the knee between the bones, the femur, and the tibia, right? Where you're actually looking at the joint space, and that that's the more common arthritis of the knee that creates longer term problems in terms of inflammation. You also have a joint between your patella, your kneecap, and those bones. The reality is, and that's what you're dealing with. You're dealing with, it's, the term for it is like chondromalacia patella, where, and stage four is classified as severe arthritis, right? Like where it's, where it's probably quite large, it's, it's, there's a deformity level to it. But you're not, it doesn't sound like you're dealing with, the, with that type of arthritis in the, in the joint in the, in the, um, between the femur and the tibia, uh, which is good. And that's harder to treat because there's not a lot of space. You can't move it around. Um, 
And, and so inflammation builds up there and it seeps out the back of the knee and it creates a lot of problems. You're, a lot of people, so this, you bring up a great point, and this, again, goes back to science. We know based on science that just looking at an image tells us nothing about a patient. Okay, all it tells us is what is on that image. The next thing that we need to do is correlate with the patient. We see a lot of people, and if we did a research study right now, and we took 100 different people and we did MRIs of their knees, we would find people that have very bad arthritis, probably about 50% of them, and we would not necessarily find that the same 50% are in pain. And so that doesn't okay. always correlate, which is why, so you're surprised and your doctor's surprised, but I know the research on this stuff. I'm not surprised at all because a lot of people have very severe arthritis and have no pain. It's not always the indicator of pain. What happens is if you've probably overused it, and again, there's a, the repetitive strain sprain, as a result of also having that severe arthritis, you became symptomatic. You did the right thing by stopping, your symptoms have gone away. That's great. That doesn't mean that your symptoms can't come back. It doesn't also mean that your symptoms will come back. But okay. it does tell us sort of that you're at a predisposed level depending on what you do. Now, remember, the patella is most active with, with knee bending. So things like going up and down the stairs, running, anything where that patella gets used more can aggravate it, especially sports like you're saying, ball hockey, side to side, where now it might have to shift. That can all have an impact. But you can have some very good outcomes by also strengthening your quads a lot and working on, on strengthening that area so that it sort of lifts the patella up. But the reality is you have osteoarthritis and, and it became symptomatic as a result of like sort of two things, you having that and also some level of trauma. So you just, I think going forward, you can do what you need to do. You need to minimize the level of trauma there's potentially sometimes for people like you would all recommend is different braces that you would wear during your activity that can help stabilize the patella so that that way you can do what you're doing. And then when you're not doing that ball hockey or whatever, you don't need to wear it. And then other things that you have to sort of get in the habit of doing post um, play, like things like icing a lot to remove any inflammation, strengthening, et cetera. So your, your story is not surprising to me. A lot of people that have arthritis don't have, um, don't have significant knee pain. They often need something else. And the problem is, is that's what happens in life. Something else always happens. And then people take x-rays and say, oh, there's the source of your problem. I, I, I just dealt with this yesterday with somebody who has had a shoulder issue. Their doctor sent them for an ultrasound, and it shows these degenerative tears. And the doctor and this person had fallen and the doctor said, well, there's the cause of your pain. You have degenerative tears it's like those degenerative tears did not happen from your fall yesterday. That that is not you're just right. seeing something that sounds scary on imaging and, and not really the the source of the problem. OK, 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 that makes call. Sense. we, we can talk more work. about it, too. Awesome. Thank you so much. No problem. My pleasure. Thanks, Christine. Appreciate that. With that, we'll take uh, one more break here and uh, reaching out one eight five 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 Doctor Lou D R L O U. But here and now to do what Christine did, make that phone call, get some information. That's what you get from Doctor Lou when you call in four one six eight seven zero sixty four hundred. We continue Pinpoint Health Show Global News Radio. And hey, welcome back. Yeah, we've got a few minutes four one six eight seven zero sixty four hundred. Right back to it, Gary. Thanks for calling in. Good morning. How are you doing today? Good, brother. What's uh, what's on your mind? Okay, I tore the bicep muscle out of my uh, shoulder. Okay. And, uh, and I'm waiting for surgery. 
But um, I, I just, I'm just curious on if they do sew it back up. Is a my bicep just hanging down, right? How long has this been? Like, how long has ago did this happen? Uh, I've been waiting three months now. Oh wow! Yeah, that's a long time. See, that's one of the unfortunate consequences of uh, of COVID nineteen and the delays in surgeries and things like that. Um, do you know which head of the bicep you tore by chance? Um, it's up on. It's not the outer because I can still move my arm. They yeah, uh, they told yeah. me if it was the outer one, I wouldn't even yeah, be able to move my arm. So it's yeah, it's the actual bicep right where it hooks in. Yeah, yeah, into the shoulder. Yeah, got it. I know where you're yeah. talking about. Um, yeah, I mean, when when are you? When is the expected surgery then? I guess is my next question. Okay, they well, my doctor said that you could be waiting three or four months, so it's like three months right now. Okay, so so hopefully it'll happen soon. Yeah, I mean the outcomes with those things in terms of surgical reattachments are honestly usually pretty good. Um, the big yeah. thing that, you know, when you know there's a, some type of surgery for musculoskeletal health, I always tell people you should be doing stuff before what's called prehabilitation. So before, right. and then also rehabilitation. So I don't know if you're seeing someone right now, you could be working on things already to just uh, help so that the surgery is more successful, especially in your case, because of how long it's taken. Typically you'd want to see these types of reattachments happen sooner, but, but I, I, I get why, why it is where it is. Um, but you might want to be doing some stuff now under professional guidance, because you don't want to do more damage and, and prehabilitating, do your surgery and then have a plan for the rehabilitation starting right away. Um, and I think if you do those things, your outcomes, I mean, I, I haven't seen you personally, so I can't see in general, I could say that if someone did do that, it, it, you know, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't expect anything uh, negative. Right. Yeah. Well, I still, I'm still using my arm. Like uh, when I first, when it first got hurt there, I couldn't even use my arm for like a month. It was so, right. it was so much, it was so much pain, but I'm at, I am getting strength back and um, I do I do stuff with it. So it's not like I'm just sitting around. Right. Okay, good. Yep, uh, you could still be yeah. like again. There's there's doing stuff, and then there's actual progressive rehabilitation and exercise science that's applied to it. The, those are different things. So it's good that you're still moving around doing things. But trust me, there's more that can be done. Okay. All right. Ready? Okay. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Gary. Appreciate the uh, appreciate the call. And if you want to reach out, uh, you know, even up until your surgery or afterwards, get some more advice, possibly some treatment. Let uh, Doctor Lou's team have a look at it. Here's how you uh, here's how you do that. One eight five 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 Doctor Lou D R L O U. Let's talk about that for a little bit because I know I love this topic. And you talk about that rehabilitation. Everybody knows what that is. You get a hip replaced, and you got the long road of exercising, et cetera, et cetera, to get back on uh, on your feet. Literally, prehabilitation. Athletes often really good at this, both actually, because they, you know, it's their life's blood is their sport. So prehab, how, how important is that? And what kind of things are you looking at? Uh, I mean, in Gary's case or any other. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it, to me, it's just as important, right? Because it, like prehabilitation can mean a lot of things, right? Like, mm. you know, as an example, if, if you, if you know, you're going to be having uh, let's say a knee replacement. Okay. And you're 20 pounds overweight. Well, we know that being overweight does not help any joint, right. especially in the lower body. Well, part of that prehabilitation would be start getting your weight down, right? Like it's not getting your weight down is not going to change the arthritis that's there now. It might help a little bit with some of the symptoms. So it's going to be beneficial leading up to it. 
but you get you, you get that weight down and then they replace that joint and now that joint has less weight on it and and uh, you're going to do better with that right so so prehabilitation can mean different things sometimes it's about strengthening different muscles to keep it healthy and keep the movement there so that you don't lose motion it really does depend on the injury but the reason why athletes often do better like you you see this all the time where people are like oh wow that you know athlete had that surgery and they recovered so quickly it's like well because they're in shape they they're yeah. they're always doing prehabilitation the average person that's not doing anything and has to undergo one of these surgeries you don't you don't necessarily now there's other factors these these athletes are often younger you may not be younger so there's there's other i'm not saying it's a it's one thing only um uh, but, you know, being being at a certain level prior to surgery only helps, you know, after surgery, you're, the level that you're at goes down. Being at a higher mm-hmm. level just means you go down less and then you right. can get back up uh, quicker and even above what you, you started with. So uh, I think it's just as important, especially if ever it's been important is during COVID where most of these non-urgent uh, orthopedic surgeries have been delayed people should be doing this stuff. It'll help with your symptoms and it'll help with the outcomes of your eventual surgery for sure. Um, so if it's ever, if it's ever been important, it's now. And chances are like Gary, you got some time cause it's going to take a while. So again, yeah, reach out to you point. and, uh, and get working that's, on it for sure. Yeah. yeah that'll that, do that, it for another week. Point. You want to, uh, you want to reach out to Dr. Lou simple. Here's how you do it. Advise you do. If only for a conversation, get it started. One eight five 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 Dr. Lou D R L O U pinpoint health.ca pinpoint health.ca. You'll find a clinic near you and reach out from there as well. And we'll catch you next time. Pinpoint health show on global news radio. The preceding program is a specialty program. Unless otherwise identified, the participants on the program are not employees of Chorus Entertainment. Opinions expressed may not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto.